13. Sister Rebecca, if you will, 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Brother Tim Macarino, Isaiah 1, verse 16. Brother Kevin, Romans 12.21. Sister June, Matthew 12.35. Anybody need me to repeat their verse for them? Y'all got them? All right, excellent. All right, so tonight we turn our eyes again to Psalm 97. This is the psalm of gospel triumph, the psalm of the triumph of the gospel. And especially tonight, we're going to focus in on verse 10. So when we get to verse 10, I want us to all read uh, that verse out loud together, please. And... Uh, the title of our thoughts of our message tonight is A Hatred of Evil. A Hatred of Evil. So we'll begin tonight, Psalm 97, and we'll begin in verse 1. The Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him, righteousness and judgment are the habitation or the foundation of his throne. A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Confounded, be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols, worship him, all ye gods. Zion heard and was glad. Hallelujah. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Now together. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. So before we dive into verse 10, just want to go back through the psalm and just pick up uh, some highlights just to kind of set the context for our thoughts tonight. And so, kind of the overall main theme of this psalm is, of course, the kingship of Jesus Christ and how he is heralded as a victorious Lord through the gospel. Amen? Is Christ reigning right now? Yes. We're, we're confident in that, right? He is sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high till all of his enemies be made his footstool. Does your heart rejoice to know that tonight when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so this is how the psalm starts out, kind of picking up where we left off in 96, right? The Lord reigneth. This speaks of the sovereignty of God. And so as the gospel goes forth and the great encouragement of evangelism that we have 
is in the sovereignty of God. I just want to go over that again with you really quick. Uh, the things that we, we studied last, last time. God's so sovereignty in creation, providence, and salvation, that is the greatest encouragement possible for evangelism. The gladdest news that could be carried to a lost and dying world is that Jesus reigns and that Jesus reigns alone. And that news needs to be carried. That good news needs to be proclaimed because God has a people in every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue. And they've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And Christ alone, He's the only one that can make men truly happy. He's the only one that can truly set men free. He's the only one that can bring peace into this world and into people's lives. And he's the only one that can truly administer real justice in this world. And so, number one, when we say the Lord reigneth, that is the, 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 that is the greatest encouragement that we could possibly have to do evangelism. Secondly, the sovereignty of God, it deepens our veneration of God. Understanding the sovereignty of God gives you an exalted view of God. It maintains His rights as Creator. It magnifies His grace. And it makes known the irreversibleness of His will. And so that's of great value to the believer. That the Lord reigneth. That lets me lay down my head on my pillow at night in peace. That I know that He that keepeth Israel, the sovereign God, He neither slumbers, nor sleeps. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's doing His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? Nothing is ever going to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so this is of great value to the believer. It's, we talked about that outside of the doctrine of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, there's probably no doctrine that is more important or valuable for the child of God to understand then the sovereignty of God, it isn't sad that the majority of modern Christianity out there has no clue truly what the sovereignty of God is. But what the sovereignty of God does, just like all truth does, is it deeply humbles the soul of man. And it gives to the believer a sense of absolute security in God and in Christ. And it supplies us a comfort in all the sorrows that we will ever experience in this life. And so our attitude. Well we said sometimes we don't like God's sovereignty in our life. But haven't we learned that our Father knows best? Haven't we learned in some way to be like Jesus to say even so Father. For it seems good in your sight. Nevertheless not my will but thy will be done. So we want to have an attitude of entire resignation. To the will of God. To God's sovereignty. We want to have a deep, an abiding deep thankfulness and joy. That God, that the Lord does reign. Because like we said last time. What does it mean to say that Jesus saves. If Jesus doesn't reign. Amen. One. And it should give us an attitude of adoring worship. So I just wanted to remind you of that. As we look at that again. The Lord reigneth. So he says, because that's the truth, because that's the ultimate reality of the way that things are. Now, the devil hates that, doesn't he? Because he wants to reign. He wanted to ascend the throne of the Lord, but he was cast down. And he ever will be cast down. He'll never 
usurp the throne of God. Hallelujah. And it'll never tear one child of God away from the heart of God. Does that rejoice? The sovereignty of God will not let it ever take place. So uh, the earth should rejoice. And he says, let the multitude of the isles be glad thereof. Now this is talking about the islands. Now we know that at the time that this was written, all the islands that were on the earth had not been discovered by or known by if it was David that wrote this, there was very little of the magnitude of all the islands. But I love David said, whatever islands are out there, he said, I want them to rejoice too. I want the gospel to triumph over them and for them as well to the uttermost parts of the earth. Hey, let's take one of Brother Nathan's surveys tonight. Everybody, who's got a pencil and pen? Y'all got a pencil and pen? All right, I want you to jot down all right, we're going to go for a number of how many islands we think have been discovered on the earth at this time. Do not Google it. I see, I know some of you, oh, Siri, how many islands? Are no, uh, don't Google it. Just take a guess, write down a number of how many islands that you just think there are. And uh, then we'll reveal the actual known number of islands. I think that you might be even surprised. But... This is so powerful that the Lord reigns. This is what would really cause the earth to rejoice. And isn't there going to be rejoicing when sin is banished? When Satan is, is made to kneel and say Jesus is Lord and all evil is cast away huh, forever. Oh, what glory. That thou, what rejoicing that that will be. Well, that's, a reality, that's going to be a reality that we need to even rejoice in right now. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the, like we said, his habitation, but the foundation of his throne. This is so important for those of us that rejoice in God's sovereignty. That the one that is sovereign, that is sitting on the throne, he has founded his kingdom in what's right, in what's good, in what's just. Aren't you glad of that? Man, think about if the devil was on the throne, what his throne would be established in, in iniquity, in, in um, cruelty. And we see where there are still places where his dominion is still holding sway. The darkness that is there, the misery that is there, the evil that is there. Aren't you glad that our sovereign God, that Jesus who reigns is the judge of the earth that shall do all that is right? And it's right because he does it. He is the sunum bonum. He is the ultimate good that justice and righteousness are the very foundation of his throne. Listen to this. He says, a fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. There's, there's nothing that can stand before God. No armies, no dictators, no uh, devil or demons. Nothing can stand before him. I think about this, it's like you've seen some of the videos of when uh, an atomic bomb uh, is ignited and this cloud that goes forth and just consumes everything in its path. And we remember what the writer of Hebrews says. He said, our God is a consuming fire. Who can stand before him? His lightnings enlighten the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills or the mountains Melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. Man, you see these majestic mountains. 
I remember when I was a young boy, y'all remember Mount St. Helens erupting, this huge mountain. And that's what it was like. It just like it just melted underneath all that lava and, and ash. And just it was just the whole mountain was devastated and all the area around it. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. The people that serve graven images, they're confounded. They're confused. Those that boast themselves of idols, worship him, all ye gods. And so this is the triumph of the gospel and of the message that Jesus reigns. Oh, when Zion heard it, oh, when Zion heard it, she was glad. Amen. What is, what is the, the gospel? It is glad tidings. It's good news from a far country that Jesus reigns. That Jesus, the one that reigns, has saved. And has saved to the uttermost. He's Lord of all. Amen. Zion heard it was glad. The daughters of Judah, they just rejoice. This is what the gospel does. When you realize that Jesus has conquered your sins, that he has uh, destroyed the devil's power over you, when he has uh, destroyed the, that the grave can't hold you anymore, that glory and a pure world awaits you when this life is over and everything in this life is going to be mitigated to you by his sovereign mercy. How could you not rejoice and sing? O oh, daughters of Zion, daughters of Judah, because of thy judgments, O oh Lord, here it is. For you, Lord, are high above all the earth. You're exalted above all gods. Now, to our text. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Well, let's just be honest tonight at the very beginning, okay? Does anybody in here think they love the Lord enough? No hands, right? Amen. And does anybody in here think that they hate evil enough? No. This is a great challenge to us. And it's a two-way street. And I love the way that it's framed here. Because the key, uh, the, the hatred of evil begins with our love of God. Isn't that beautiful? Ye that love the Lord, ye that have the love of God, that do love God, that do know God, you're the ones that should hate evil. So that's the first point that we want to make tonight. Our hatred of evil begins with our love for God. Brother Robert, if you will, Proverbs 8, 13. These are the words of the wise. These are, David has said, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Let's hear what his son Solomon said, sir. You know, if the, the more that we love God, the more we will hate evil. So this is the concept, not that I need to just dwell and think about evil and I need to think and spend all my time, oh, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. No, the, time, the aspect that we want to uh, be about in our lives and put at the forefront is who God is and loving God and knowing God, and praising God, and worshiping God, and serving God, and in doing that with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, it will build in us a hatred of evil. Now, everything in the world is not evil. Amen? Everything in the world is not evil. What is? What do we say when we are talking about evil? The Hebrew word is just two letters, R-A, Ra. 
Ra. It's something that is malignant. Ooh, isn't that a terrible word for those of you that have had to fight cancer or have had loved ones? You know, you go and they get these tests and you're all praying, Lord, let it come back. Let it be what? Benign, right? We want it to be benign. Well, evil, beloved, is not benign. Evil, something that is evil is malignant. What that means is it, is, it is, has a destructive, a, a, a deadly quality to it. Something that is evil. We know like the devil is a malignant, of a malignant nature. He is a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may what? Devour. He's a, a dragon that would burn us all in his wickedness. The word Ra in Hebrew means malignant, that which brings misery, that that is wicked, that it is that that is morally and ethically bad. This is what we're talking about, the things that we want to hate. Our hatred of evil begins with our love for God. We, we cannot truly love God without hating what He hates. Isn't that a great point? Now, in our day... People tell us, well, if you say that uh, homosexuality is evil and wrong, well, well, you're a bigot and you don't love God. But the absolute opposite is true, right? We could not love God and then say what that God has said is an abomination in His sight and that He hates, that that's something that we should celebrate and something that's okay for all of us to allow or to participate in now let me be clear i'm not saying to hate anyone it says that ye that love the lord to hate what to hate evil right and that's an important thing to understand but i can't say that i love god if i don't hate what god hates so that's very important for us to stand brother robert read us some of the things that God hates. You know, and, and you would think, well, maybe God would have said in, in Proverbs 8, 3, I, I hate adultery, I hate fornication, I hate, you know, all these terrible, gross sins. But God says, I, man, I hate arrogancy. I, I hate, what was it, Robert? It was pride, arrogancy, some, something. Yeah, yeah. So, man, Lord, give us a heart, though. You see, when we're talking about hating evil and hating evil in our lives and the lives of others in this world, evil is something that we want to see eradicated. Evil in ourselves, in our society, because it's malignant, because it brings misery. Look at what sin and evil has done to all of us. Look at what it is doing to us, just physically in our bodies. Look at what it's doing to our nation. Look at what it did to Jesus when God sheathed the sword of His justice in the heart of His Son. How can we not hate evil? When we see what it's done to us. Not just evil as a concept, but our own sin. Our own corruption. Brother Handy laid it out for us. Well, Brother Paul did. And uh, Brother the Apostle Paul did. And Andy told us what Paul, the Spirit said through Paul. That... We're evil, corrupt, and we need, to, we need to hate that and love God. So what I'm talking about is in mortification, you have two great concepts in this great 
spiritual warfare and sanctification, of striving to be holy, those songs we sang, pure in heart, oh God, help me to be. Why do we need to pray that? Because our heart tends toward evil more than it does good until we're born again. And even after we're born again, it's the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? It's weak. Yo, pure in heart, oh God, help me to be. More holiness give me, Lord. We have to pray those prayers. So in our sanctification, there's these two great aspects. There's mortification, the putting to death of sin and evil in our lives. But the way to really do that, you don't take the acts uh, of the law because all that does is magnify sin. It's not like I said, oh, let me think about how much I hate drunkenness. Let me think about how much I hate lust. No, let me think about how wonderful God is, how good God has been to me, the grace of God, the mercy of God, all that is in God and my relationship with Him the, the, and, and Christ Himself and all that He is to me and for me. That's vivification. Vivification is uh, bringing to life. And the vivification of our souls helps us in the mortifying of our sin. Does that make sense to you? It's the same concept that we just said. To really hate evil is more about loving God. Now, we've all been honest. We don't love God nearly as much as we should. And that's directly why we are very passive sometimes when it comes to evil. Now, I know we all know academically, intellectually, everyone in here said, yeah, we hate evil. Evil's bad. Usually, though, when it comes to the evil that's in us, we don't, we aren't as vehement against it because of the weakness of our flesh. First Thessalonians 5.15. Sister Rebecca, that one's yours. Read that for me, please. Men, don't try to do evil. How, how do we overcome evil? The scripture says, overcome evil with what? With good, right? Do you know that evil prevails when good men do nothing? Evil is not something that we can just turn a blind eye to or um, smooth over. It's a malignant thing. It's a thing that is wicked and, and brings misery. So we need to overcome evil with good. We need to have a hatred of evil that begins with our love for God. Lord, help me to love you more so that I might hate evil. Secondly, our hatred of evil should be most over our own. Our hatred of evil should be most over our own. Don't be hard on others and easy on yourself. Abandon a, hypocrit a hypocritical hatred of evil. You know, it's so easy that Jesus said, you're so busy trying to get the beam out of, I mean, the moat out of somebody else's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye. Uh, Isaiah 1.16, please, brother. Amen. Amen. Your evil 
the evil that lies within, that's, that's what you want to concentrate on the, the most. I'm not going to turn to this for time's sake, but y'all remember the story of Judah and Tamar? Y'all remember that story? In, uh, if you want to look it up later, it's Genesis 38, 24 through 26. Judah had gotten away out of sight of the family, and he entered into an illicit relationship uh, with these women of ill repute. And because of that custom, they recovered. He really couldn't see their faces. And one of them was uh, a daughter-in-law that had lost her husband. Her name was Tamar. Remember? And so when uh, Tamar becomes pregnant and they tell Judah about it, do y'all remember what Judah said? Oh, he was, he was so ready to cast judgment, right? Like David was when, when uh, Nathan came to him and said, this man, you know, just had one lamb and, and this other man had all these lambs and he killed this one man's lamb and, and took it. David was so wroth. He said, he's going to pay him sevenfold. Didn't know that he had pronounced his own sentence on himself. Judah, I believe if you remember, Judah said about Tamar, let's bring her out here and let's put her to death. And Tamar came and, you really going to put me to death, Judah? Whose signet is this? Whose rod is this? Remember how he said, you've been more righteous than me. Because I didn't give you the, my, my other son to marry like that I should have. Oh, abandon the hypocritical heart. Save the toughest judgment for yourself. Judge not that you be not judged. Our hatred of evil should be most over our own. I want you to think about that when it comes especially to Jesus. There, there's nothing that can cause us to hate sin more than when we look at the cross. Amen? When we see that what Jesus went through, it... It can become, like I said, we can become callous to it. But I love those songs that says, Oh, Jesus, sweet the tears I shed when before thy cross I kneel. Oh, with Salem's daughters, that song says, Might I, might I mourn with them. When we think about that, yes, the Jews were guilty in the death of Jesus Peter proclaimed that, right? Ye with wicked hands have slain. The Romans did the actual deed and parted his garments. But don't we all know that the whips that fell on his back and the nails that drove him in, it might as well have been Nathan Pitney's hand on that scourge. It might as well be Kevin Poe driving the hammer home. Regina piercing him. In the side. Take that to your sin. Take that to evil. And let it die there. You know Jesus hated it so much. He hated evil so much. He said Father plunge the sword of your justice. Of your wrath. Against all the sins of your children. In my own heart. And God did. So thirdly. Our hatred of sin. Must be fixed. On its 
abolition. That is on its destruction. Romans 12, 21. Romans 12, 21, Brother Kevin. Right. Are we just going to hack at the branches of sin? Or are we going to take the axe of love of God to the root of it? Amen? Don't just hack at the branches of sin. I think about David. You know, King David, when he faced Goliath, y'all remember that, he hit him with the, the sling, and the Bible says that that actually killed Goliath, the stone in the forehead actually killed him. But David made sure of it, didn't he? He went and took the sword, he cut his head off. And that's how we need to be with evil and sin in our lives. Jesus said, these little foxes, these little foxes, they can spoil and ruin the whole vineyard if we don't deal with them. Like David and Goliath, like Samson with his enemies. Remember what he said? And, and that's the one thing that I'm glad when death finally comes to me. I want to shake death's hand as a friend. Because death will be the end of my sin against God anymore. Hallelujah. Now that's not what has forgiven me of my sin, but it will be the end. It will be the end. And, and Samson on those pillars, he said, Lord, give me your spirit one more time. And he pushed and he died with his enemies. He killed more in his death than in his life. Oh, may the Lord bless us to have such a hatred of evil that, that we want to see it eradicated out of our lives. Now, how can I know, verse, last, lastly and fourthly as we close, we know we truly hate evil when we can receive rebuke for it. We know we really hate evil when we can receive rebuke for it. Are you a person who is never wrong? Are you a person that's always in the right? Or can you, like when you're told, like David was, thou art the man, can you repent before the Lord and confess and turn? Can you be like Peter, when you hear the cock crow and receive the glance of Christ, can you go out and weep bitterly for sin? We know we truly hate evil when we can receive rebuke for it. Matthew 12, 35. Sister June. So, beloved, ye that love the Lord hate evil. And you know there's a great promise in that verse too, isn't there? We talked about it at the nursing home. The Lord preserveth the soul of His saints. He delivereth them. So, that is for those who love the Lord and who hate evil. And the Lord bless you and keep you is our prayer. Thank you for your good and kind attention. All right, keep your Bibles open and stand, and we're going to sing that praise song, Psalm 97.